Welcome back to the Letterman Jacket Podcast, talking Sooners, talking offseason, talking portal, and today talking uh, coordinator hires. We are joined uh, by Tyler Waldrop, Jacksonville State beat writer of the Aniston Star. He'll be talking with us about his experience covering Zach Alley, the Sooners' new defensive coordinator uh, at Jacksonville State over his two seasons there. And before we jump in, a quick thank you to our sponsors, the people who make the Letterman Jacket possible. Of course, that starts with Rose Hill Builders, National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Our Blood Institute and Bob Moore Auto Group, and as always, our friends at Fire Lake. Citizen Potawatomi Nation has more than 75 positions available at one of its many businesses. Hit firelakejobs.com to find out more and join the team. All right, Tyler, welcome and thank you for joining us on The Jacket. No, I appreciate you for having me. Uh, if, if somebody had told me back in August uh, that I was covering the soon-to-be defensive coordinator for the Sooners, <laughs> I would have been uh, pretty shocked at that. It would have been a surprise. But folks, if you're, if you're listening to this now, by this point, uh, Zach Alley has officially been named Oklahoma's offensive, uh, excuse me, defensive coordinator. It's been a long couple weeks. Defensive coordinator. Uh, expecting that to be a, a, a technically a co-defensive coordinator tag, but much like Seth Luttrell, the important part here is who's going to be calling the plays on Brent Venable's defense, and that will be Zach Alley. And that's why Tyler's here, because he has covered Zach Alley, who started his career uh, as a coordinator at Louisiana Monroe as, one of the, young, as the youngest coordinator. Uh, coordinator in FBS football and then spent the last two years at Jacksonville State with Rich Rodriguez made the jump uh, with that program into FBS football and now is headed to the Sooners so Tyler uh, first give us please a little background on, on yourself and and then about the program that you cover at Jacksonville State that uh, in the last two years has made a big jump yeah so I've been covering Jacksonville State basically as long as Zach Alley's been there um, I joined the beat uh, about a week after Rich Rodriguez was hired, and uh, one of Rich Rod's first decisions was to bring Zach Alley, hit, um, who was a, you know, Rich Rod was the offensive coordinator at Louisiana Monroe, uh, where Zach was the DC. So Rich Rod brought Zach over. That was one of the first decisions he made. Um, so yeah, so I've been basically covering Jacksonville State as long as Zach has been there. So this is going to, this is new territory for me. I'm going to have to cover a Gamecock program that doesn't have Zach. That'll be Man. It'll be something new then. And, you know, I think, you know, that what strikes people first is Zach, Zach Alley's age. Uh, the fact, you know, he's going to be 30 years old when he gets to Norman. Um, Brent Venables, I believe, was 29 when he got the, uh, the D.C. job under Bob Stoops back in 1999. Um, but also, you know, it, it's a rapid rise for, for Zach Alley. You know, he spent much of the 2010s at Clemson with Brent Venables and Dabo Sweeney, assistant coach at Boise State, and then landed that coordinator role. Uh, at Louisiana Monroe first, when Rich Rodriguez made that hire, and you know, I, I, I imagine you know that the heat, the pressure is a little different uh, at, at JSU than it is in Norman, Oklahoma. But he was taking a shot on a young guy. What was his message? What was his sort of, for lack of a better term, justification in bringing this guy in to run his defense? You know, I think it speaks to just how impressed he was with what Zach did at Louisiana Monroe that he brought him over. Uh, you know, Rich Rod, whenever you ask Rich Rod about, you know, defensive stuff, he'll answer it, but he'll always say, but I'm not the expert on this. You know, I really lean on Zach. Um, you know, everybody knows Rich Rod is an offensive mastermind. Um, you know, he's revolutionized football on that side of the ball, but 
he knows what's happening on the defensive side, but that's not something he felt the need to oversee Zach with. He really did, I think, take a hands-off approach. So to me, I think that speaks to that he thought Zach could come in and run the show and be the guy, and he didn't need somebody holding his hand. And I think the other big thing is he felt like Zach, probably because of his youth, was a guy that could recruit talent to Jacksonville State. And and that's something we've seen, um, especially out of guys in the transfer portal. We had a number of players transfer to Jacksonville State that I got the chance to interview this year. And those guys were consistently talking about Zach. When you asked about, I would ask a lot of those guys questions about, hey, what did Rich Rod say to you to convince you to take a chance on a first-year FBS team? And those guys wouldn't dismiss Richard, but they would say Zach. Like Zach was the name they talked about. You know, you might say Richrod, and those guys would answer back with Zach. And I think that was pretty telling and how important he was, not just in what he does from a coaching standpoint, but from what he brings as a recruiter. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's got the youth factor. I mean, there's, you know, he doesn't look much further removed from like being a college football player, let alone being uh, a Division One coordinator. What do you think it is about Zach Alley, a guy you've, as you say, you've, you've spoken to players who were drawn by him. You, you worked around him. You covered him. What is it about him personally uh, that that you think made that sell for those guys? I think they found someone they could relate to, which again speaks back to the mm-hmm. youth. But I also think the players trusted Zach as a guy that would be honest with them and give them good news or bad news, just in maybe where they are in the depth chart. Um, you know, I talked to a lot of guys in the secondary this year. That's my favorite position to watch on the football field. And, you know, those guys said that Zach challenged them. And if you watched the film this year, I mean, Jack State really leaned on its secondary, had a couple injuries uh, to some corners late in the season. But no matter who was out there, they leaned on those guys. They relied on corners to play man for most of the season. And these weren't exactly the most experienced group of guys. but. You know, when you, when I would talk to those guys during the week, you know, they said they felt like what allowed them to have so much success is Zach was honest and upfront. He said, hey, I'm going to put you in a position in a rough spot and you're going to have to make a play. And they said that they loved that. They fed off that. They enjoyed the challenge. Um, so, yeah, I guess just from a personal standpoint, I mean, I, I think they felt like they could trust Zach with with everything. And he certainly felt the same way with those guys. Certainly, you know, we're, we'll be getting ready here in Norman. We'll be spending a lot more time around Zach Alley, uh, talking to him, learning more about him, learning what he's planning to bring to to Oklahoma and his defense here with Brent Venables. But even for yourself, you know, when you cover a coach, as long as you did two years, you, you develop a relationship, uh, you learn, you know, the, the right questions to ask, the wrong ones, the ones to avoid. Um, for yourself, I mean, the, the experience of, of covering Zach Alley and, and then, you know, a week ago, confirming that he was headed out and headed to Oklahoma. What was your relationship like with, with him and, and the opportunity to cover him? So we didn't get the chance to talk to Zach as much as I would have liked. Uh, Jacksonville State, kind of similar to a lot of colleges, don't do a lot of coordinator interviews during the season. Um, so if you want to get those guys the best chances, is kind of preseason. Um, I, I would say in the limited conversations I got to have with Zach, you know, he didn't want to get into a lot of the, you know, in-depth X's and O's, which makes sense. I'm not expecting mm-hmm. him to, to give me his playbook, especially before the season. But the I was surprised when I sort of gave him free reign to drive the conversation. He talked a lot about the personal lives of his players. Um, uh, uh, the first conversation I had with him, the the thing he wanted to talk about more than anything else 
was he, I guess one of his first decisions was he said, hey, we should have like a big brother program. And I want all the the young guys, the freshmen, and I think the sophomores to be paired up with a, a senior or a junior. And, you know, those guys just have to work as a duo. And you kind of lean on those guys if you, you're struggling and you need personal help or you're struggling with grades or, you know, anything really. Um, and he kind of told those older guys, hey, like, that's your little brother. You're responsible for this guy. And, you know, I asked Zach a lot of questions during that conversation, but the thing that he was excited about, the only thing he wanted to talk at length about was that. And I mean, I think if I remember correctly, he went four or five minutes. Uh, I didn't even have to ask questions. He just talked about why that was important to him. So again, I think that probably speaks to why the players respond to him so much. It seems like, you know, a lot of coaches will talk about how important it is for guys to have good grades and to to be well adjusted in their personal lives and, and football is important. But I don't know, Zach kind of showed that to me in that conversation. And based on what players said to me after, I feel like that probably was genuine. I think Zach probably is maybe more than other coaches concerned with where his players are at. Maybe because he remembers what it was like. I, again, I'm not sure. I can only speculate uh, what sort of drives that. Yeah. I mean, I I kind of smirked when you, you mentioned that it, it sounds uh, frighteningly similar, and you know, we talk about people have called him a Brent Venables clone. Uh, sounds a lot like the sole mission that OU has here. Uh, it sounds like the Paw program, I think, is what Dabo Swinney had at Clemson. So, tells you a bit of something about where uh, Zach Alley came from I and mean, his rearing. You know, he didn't play college football, but student assistant at Clemson, graduate assistant at Clemson, very much so uh, died in the wool of, of Brent Venables and Dabo Swinney's programs. and uh, shoot, if you ask Brent Venables about the soul mission, you can uh, keep your mouth shut for the next 10 minutes because he will be talking about it still uh, and, and all the benefits of that program they've got in Norman. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people are going to look at Zach Alley as as the Brent Venables clone. Um, and I guess in your conversations with, with players, in terms of the coaching and the way he approached things, um, you know, we've heard player driven, very honest up front. Um, and what you could glean of the players, what, what sort of struck you and, and maybe once they were on campus, how they, uh, how they took his coaching? Uh, well, I think the, the most interesting, to, the most interesting thing to me is, you know, talking with Rich Rod regularly. And, and I mean, even for people at home watching him, you know, you see Rich Rod, he's a guy who wears his emotions on his sleeve. Uh, you know, he gets upset. He's, uh, he's definitely the kind of guy, if a player makes a mistake, you'll see Rich Rod make a beeline for that guy as he's coming off the field. Um, he's not afraid to let players know how he's feeling uh, during the game. Um, at the same time, you'll see guys make uh, you know mistakes on the defensive end. And I watched Zach a lot this year just to see you know, how he handles those moments when guys maybe you know, have a, a penalty that is just you know, one of those kind of dumb penalties that, or if they blow a coverage and Zach, uh, you know, he doesn't always walk towards those guys, but when he does, he does, he walks, he's kind of slow, just approaches them. And I've asked a lot of those guys after the fact, you know, what was that conversation? You know, you missed that coverage. What was that conversation like? Or you made this mistake. What was that conversation like? And they say, you know, he'll, he'll call you out on it. He'll correct you. But they were very clear. He's nothing like Richrod. You know, he's not a guy that's going to raise his voice or yell. Um, at least during the games, that's what I've been told from the players. You know, they said he lets them know what the mistake is. He wants them to not make that mistake again. So 
you know, he's trying to educate them. But from what I've been told from the players that those are not heated discussions. He doesn't raise his voice. Um, he kind of just calls things out like they are and then kind of goes on and does his thing. And I will say from watching those conversations aren't long. Um, you know, if he walks over to a guy, you know, it seems like maybe it's like 15, 30 seconds. It's not, it's not a big thing. And then he kind of walks off and he's, he's getting ready for the next series. So, you know, I, I guess that's, I hope that answers your question. I was, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. no, I mean, it's, it's again, uh, trying to, to glean the similarities to Brent Venables. They're there. So I guess I, I take it from that. He spent, uh, he, he was coordinating from the sideline, um, during the season. Correct. Yes. He was, yeah. yeah, he's on the sideline. He actually, um, he's very visible because he wears blue, like a light blue from head to toe. Um, for, uh, from best I, I, hopefully I'm remembering this correctly and I didn't just make this up in my head, but I believe it's for visibility reasons, you know, especially at Jack, mm -hmm. everybody's wearing this red color. Uh, and then you have this one guy who's light blue head to toe, like blue cap, I think blue shoes at times. Um, so, I mean, you know, he's extremely easy for us to find from the press box and I'm assuming the same is true of the players in the field. You know, we just got to look for the guy wearing blue and we can get the calls in, but yeah, he's, uh, he's very animated during the game when it comes to uh, making the calls. Yeah, he's definitely on the sidelines. Certainly. And so I, I first, you know, the, the news drops that Zach Alley is, is likely headed to Norman uh, last week and, and you kind of start just digging up on him. That's how I came across a lot of your work. Uh, and I came across a podcast, you know, the, the Rich Rodriguez Hard Edge Football Show. Who knew Rich Rodriguez had a pod, man? I was, uh, and and I, I think it's been discontinued, but he had like 48 episodes. I was impressed. Um, but the very last one he did was with Zach Alley. And I thought the timing of it was interesting because it was uh, in the, their first spring together at Jacksonville State. Uh, it was after they'd come from Louisiana Monroe, and it was sort of this moment where they, they hadn't really kicked into what they were doing there yet, uh, but they were about to begin a journey where they were going to spend that final season in, in FCS and then make that jump to FBS. And, um, you know, no matter where things go from here for, for Zach Alley, he, he'll be coming to Norman after a pretty transformative, interesting two years with that program. Could you walk us through, I guess, a bit of what those last two years have been and, and then obviously closing out this year for Zach Alley with a defense that, you know, in year one in FBS really took off. Yeah. So I don't think, at least around here, especially in the state of Alabama, I don't think anybody's surprised that Jacksonville state was able to uh, make the transition or, and, and to handle that last year at the FCS level with so much success. I mean, you know, depending on who you ask, Jacksonville state won the conference, um, unless you ask the ASUN. Um, but you know, I don't think anybody around here is surprised that Jacksonville State can, you know, end its FCS tenure with so much success. But I, I think everybody, including me, was pretty wide open on what this year might look like at the FBS level. Um, you know, for Jacksonville State to get nine wins, that's something I thought was probably not on the table when the season began. And I really think a lot of credit goes to what the defense did. Uh, you know, for me, covering the team, those first four, five, six games, the offense was in flux. Uh, there wasn't a lot of consistency. There wasn't a lot of rhythm on that side of the ball. A couple starters went down. Um, but the defense, the defense carried the water for the most part early on. Um, you know, I would say around the midpoint of the year is when I realized Zach probably wasn't going to be the defensive coordinator next year. I'm um, just, you know, the defense 
was more than holding its own. And a lot of people are going to say Conference USA isn't uh, the best FBS conference. I would agree with that. But, you know, to, to look at a, a, a first-year FBS team that mostly had the same players that it had last year, or, or guys that were on the roster at least, I mean, for the defense to, I would say, look better than almost every offense that I watched this year, I, I would say is pretty impressive. I think it probably exceeded the expectations Rich Rod had of what this defense was going to do. Um, I actually pulled the stats recently uh, for a story I'm working on. Just to compare to what Jacksonville State did uh, as, a, as a final year FCS team, playing a mostly FCS schedule, there was one FBS opponent. Um, this year, Jacksonville State held opponents to almost two less points, 37 less yards, uh, over uh, 1.3 yards less per carry. I could keep going on and rattle off yeah. similar stats to that, but it's like, it's not a huge jump, but the fact that it's a jump at all when you're going from FCS competition to FBS competition with mostly the same pieces, that blew me away. And I think that spoke to probably Ali's impact in his second year uh, more than anything else. I think, you know, like general logic would, would stand to reason there'd be a drop off for a program and, uh, and players under the circumstances you outline, like same guys um, playing presumably a, a tougher schedule. I know, you know, they had South Carolina on there, you know, becoming bowl eligible, winning nine games. But you look at the stats, you know, nationally where they ranked. I, I'm sure you could. I've got a lot of them off the top of my head, but you know what? Uh, top 10 in uh, turnovers per game. Uh, the run defense is, was up there with some of the best in the country. I know that was one of the, the big sticking points uh, this past season. Uh, total defense, jar, uh, points allowed. They were in like the, the I think it was what, 43rd uh, in total defense and 33rd in, in scoring. Maybe I've mixed those two up. But point is, they made that jump and, and not only did they stay afloat, but the defense, you know, stood up there, you know, outperformed Oklahoma in a, a handful of categories and really um stood up and and it sounds like you know it was not under perfect circumstances either with, with changes in the secondary and all that well i'm assuming the oklahoma defense won't have to be on the field for uh 33 minutes a game next mm. year which is what uh the guys that were playing for alley this year had to do uh you know if you i'm not exaggerating to say i yawned once and missed two plays uh for the game guys <laughs> like you know, I mean, they went fast and, you know, that doesn't always mean you score fast. Sometimes it just means you punt very quickly. Um, so that was the thing that impressed me is, I mean, I, especially early on, there were consistently times when the defense would have to go back out. Like, you know, the offense would go out, run three plays in like 40 seconds or less and then punt. And it's like, OK, now the defense has to go out and make another stop. And the fact that, you know, Allie was able to to keep those guys. You know, because of that, they rotated too deep at almost every position except linebacker. And there wasn't a clear drop off for most of the time. When guys went down that were hurt, that were starters late in the season, I didn't see a big drop off. Um, and, uh, you know, some of that, the credit definitely goes to those players. But I think a lot of it goes to the scheme that Allie was running and, and how he prepared those guys. So running through the schedule from this year, you had South Carolina on there. You had the, the New Orleans Bowl, kind of his final act, a, a big postseason win. On on what night or in what game did did Zach Alley's defense to you shine most? Or is there a game when you think back on this past season where you say, um, 
this this was I don't know about the crowning moment because it could have been that loss to South Carolina, but simply just holding up the way they did. But when when did his defense look best to where you were having those thoughts of I don't think this guy's going to be back next year? Well, I would say those thoughts probably started somewhere between they uh, Jacksonville State went to Middle Tennessee on October fourth and then played Western Kentucky October seventeenth. I would say one of those two games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Middle Tennessee is is a good example. Um, off the top of my head, I th- I think Jacksonville State was down seventeen points at the half uh, or down twenty one at, at one point. I mean, it, this was. I believe the largest hole I'd seen Jacksonville State in all year up to this point. And, um, you know, the defense comes out, uh, you know, obviously the offense has to suddenly get going, but they were able to do that because the defense, uh, you know, got a couple sacks, a couple tackles for loss to just uh, force three and outs. And then all of a sudden, uh, Jacksonville State won by uh, 15 points, which seemed impossible to me at the halftime of that game. Um, so that was a big one. Western Kentucky was. You know, um, Malachi Corley, this big receiver, Western Kentucky was coming into the year expected to win the league with its offense, uh, with its quarterback and its receiver. And, you know, Jacksonville State shut those guys down for the most part. If if I had to pick one game that I thought kind of stood out just in terms of of what Alley w- and, and the defense was able to do, I would actually say that loss to South Carolina, just because there are times, you know, you see the speed of some of South Carolina's skill guys. And that to me is the biggest, um, just just the eye test. That's the biggest difference between where Jacksonville State was and where a team like South Carolina is. Um, you know, there there'd be a couple times receivers would get open, and you could just see that the speed they had, the athleticism. Jacksonville State didn't have a guy that could do that. Um, but the the Jacksonville State was able to weather what I thought was a terrible start on both sides of the ball. I mean, South Carolina goes right down the field at will. And, and scores on their opening possession and Jacksonville state um, just uh, two pretty, maybe three pretty bad drives on offense. Again, like I said, the defense is just having to go back out there right after they kind of got their butts kicked. Um, but I mean, for the defense to make enough plays to kind of give Jacksonville state a chance to, to drive at the end of the game with a chance to win. Um, I was really impressed with, um, and again, it wasn't, there wasn't any big plays the defense made. It was for the most part, just pressure on the quarterback, Spencer Rattler, a guy that, uh, you know, I know Oklahoma fans, uh, have some Funny knowledge familiar. of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rattler, it seemed like was under pressure every other pass, if not more often. And those guys didn't get home as much as they've gotten in other games, but I don't think that mattered. I think forcing him to, to throw quickly and off schedule was what Jacksonville State needed in that game. And the fact that Allie was able to to scheme those guys up, uh, especially when, you know, they were sort of playing from behind, I was really impressed with that performance. It seems, I mean, you run through them, I and they, they progressed all year and, you know, obviously closed out strong in New Orleans. Uh, the, the deal with, you know, Brent Venables, hiring a coordinator for him, a defensive coordinator, is a, is a different deal because of what Brent Venables carries. You, you are coming... Uh, to coach in his scheme this is not a hey come here and implement your your scheme as as, as it would be with an offensive coordinator as, as Jeff Lebby had uh, running the Sooners offense as Seth Luttrell will to some degree but um, obviously Zach Alley's going to have his hands all over this thing and so whatever you know we come to learn or however Brent Venables and Zach Alley 
decide to present how they're going to handle this or in fact do handle it what are some of those elements of a Zach Alley defense that that no matter what you think Oklahoma fans can expect to see um, when he's calling plays and, and running the show well I think I'm actually interested to see what happens because at times it was hard for me to tell is Alley running the defense this way because that's the way he wants to run it or because that's the way he has to run it with what Jacksonville State has. Um, for example, uh, you know, Jacksonville State leaned a lot on its secondary, uh, ran a lot of man with those guys. But I think a big part of that was Jacksonville State had its most, most of its depth was on the back end. And there were only a couple guys uh, with any real linebacking experience and they played well, but I got the sense that Jacksonville state was trying to take as much pressure off of those guys as possible with the way they called defenses. I would, you know, so I would be interested to see if, if, you know, is Allie going to call things similarly at Oklahoma or was that a way he called things at Jacksonville state? Because uh, that's sort of where the, the depth chart led him to call things. Um, you know, for the most part, we, we didn't see a lot of blitzes. Allie didn't run a lot of blitzes this year. Um, I would say they were more, he was more of a pick his spot kind of guy. Um, they had a couple solid pass rushers up front, sort of, um, you know, whether you want to call those outside linebackers, edges, you know, kind of guys somewhere between a, a defensive line, a defensive end and a linebacker. They had a couple guys like that. They really leaned on to come in on certain plays and uh, rush the quarterback. Uh, but otherwise Jacksonville state mostly leaned on its, its defensive line to just sort of get enough pressure on its own. Um, the linebackers were sort of there to stop the run and, and the secondary knew that, um, you know, they were at times going to be playing two on one and they just had to figure it out. Um, they did a lot of man, but again, I, I don't know. I, it felt like there was more of a shift to a man defense. I, I would have to go back and, and watch a lot of the games. Sure. But I felt like this year there was a shift to more of a man defense. Um, felt like Jacksonville State blitzed a little less than maybe they had the first year that Allie was there. Um, and I, I think that probably makes sense. The first year Allie was there, Jacksonville State's strength was its linebacking core. Um, so I felt like this season I watched Allie kind of change, tweak everything slightly to, to take the pressure off of those guys. Um, and for the most, and another thing Zach Allie did all year which this is a thing that Jacksonville State did at every position, including quarterback, is uh, they played too deep. The only people who didn't uh, rotate too deep uh, regularly was the offensive line. And even there were times when I saw, you know, guards would come in and out for Jacksonville State. So, uh, you know, I don't know how much of that was Rich Rod's philosophy of, hey, we're going to play too deep at every position. And that's how we're going to make up for the fact that we're not the biggest and the fastest and the strongest. We're going to be the freshest. I think that was sort of Rich Rod's approach. I don't know if that's something Allie would want to continue and, and rotate guys in more um, at Oklahoma or if, you know, a place like Oklahoma, you don't have to worry about such a huge talent gap. Um, maybe he just leans on the starters. So um, that's sort of what Allie did this year. Uh, yeah. Hopefully that helps. It'll, I'll, I'll be just as interested as all the Oklahoma fans in just seeing how he changes the way he does things from that side. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be, it'll be different for him. He'll be operating with a different kind of too deep, different kind of depth, but also different kind of demands. Uh, program like Oklahoma moving into the SEC. I mean, that, that whole thing's an abyss for, for all of us trying to figure out 
what what this will look like. But that was going to be my parting question for you. Your curiosity about Zach Alley, a guy you covered for two years, a guy who is young, who clearly has, you know, wherever he ends up. I mean, I you know, listening to that Rich Rodriguez podcast, he's got aspirations of having the number one defense in the nation, uh, doing that for five straight years, uh, maybe someday becoming a head coach. Uh, but when you think about him leaving and you'll be watching from afar next season, what will you be most curious about to see where Zach Alley goes and, and how things go for him and Norman? Uh, I mean, I said it earlier, but, um, you know, when I'm watching football, my favorite thing to watch is the secondary. Um, some of that's because if you watch, you know, if you watch the games at home, uh, other than some of the route tree stuff, the secondary coverage is one of the things you miss on a normal broadcast. Unless maybe there's a big play and you'll see different replays. but um, So that's my favorite thing to watch. I'll be fascinated to see how he uses those guys at Oklahoma. Um, you know, is he going to force those guys to play mostly man defense? Is he going to, you know, maybe not blitz as much and, and just sort of lean on more of a structural defense that where he doesn't need to maybe create turnovers? Uh, you mentioned it earlier, but... Jacksonville State got more turnovers than almost anybody in the country. Um, and I don't remember what the exact count was. Maybe 12 different guys had interceptions, um, which I think led the country or was maybe right there. Maybe with Oklahoma, I can't remember who who was sort of right there with Jacksonville State for most of the year. But, you know, I'm interested. Is, is that something that uh, is going to be similar to Oklahoma? Is it going to be, instead of a couple key guys over and over again, is it going to be you know, 12 to 15 guys that really play huge roles in the defense. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm what I'm not curious about is I'm not curious to see if he'll be successful. I, I just, I kind of believe that he will. Um, and, and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have felt that way before this year. You know, I thought Zach was a good defensive coordinator, but I didn't have any reason to believe he was, you know, uh, a guy that maybe in Oklahoma would, seriously consider even with the relationship with Brent but I mean and you mentioned it earlier but you know Jacksonville State was uh 10th in sacks 8th in turnovers um 7th in tackles for loss and I think uh 30th maybe in scoring or 33rd um you know just right there in so many different categories and that was with a roster that was mostly recruited to play FCS football you know, a lot of the guys that I covered this year, their only offer was Jacksonville State or their only Division One offer was Jacksonville State or maybe they had two or three. But, you know, for the most part, there's still a lot of guys in this roster that it wasn't like they had all the, this big decision on National Signing Day. They weren't picking between, you know, they weren't even picking between a couple, uh, you know, lower tier FBS conferences. I mean, for the most part, they had one or two FCS offers. Um, maybe they had a Division Two offer that they were deciding between. Um, so this was, with a couple exceptions, a bunch of a, an experienced defense, but mostly guys who were recruited to play FCS football. And they looked like not just they belonged at the FBS level. I was surprised it just again. And I, I, and you can go through, you know, go through Jacksonville State schedule. You're gonna go, oh man, that was not a great team, and that wasn't a great opponent, and. And oh, they had three wins this year. Uh, like I'm not, I'm not trying to hype up Jacksonville State's strength of schedule, but what I will say is, uh, you know, those rosters were they were recruited to play at the FBS level, and Jacksonville State's wasn't. And I was just impressed with, you know, it wasn't just that Jacksonville State won. It was, you know, there's four or five of these games 
that Jacksonville State looked like they were the team that was recruited to play at the FBS level. And the other team was this kind of overmatched opponent that was, you know, a couple years away. Maybe if they recruit well, they could even belong on the same field as Jacksonville State. And that just wasn't something I expected uh, coming into this year. I, d- I didn't expect for Jacksonville State to look like they could win easily in almost any of these games. And a lot of that speaks to how well the defense played, um, especially early on. So, yeah, I guess I'm not as I'm not curious to see if he'll be successful. I just tend to think he will. Uh, I mean, it's a huge step up in competition for him, but I'm more interested in maybe the the nuances with how he calls that stuff and and maybe, uh, like you said, you know, he'll probably have a little more oversight at this job. So I'm sure that they'll uh, they'll tweak some things that he probably would have done differently if he was the only defensive kind of minded guy on the staff. I have bristled like in the last week or so, folks pointing out, oh, well, it's just CUSA football as though it's not still highly competitive, even whatever, down a level or two, different caliber of football, different caliber of players. It's still seriously competitive football. And you talk about the resources that Zach Alley was working with relative to what he might have at Oklahoma and the competition at Oklahoma. It's still pretty dang impressive. I don't care where you're playing to be uh, as, as high up in all those stats you mentioned across the country. I mean, they were really, you know, most defenses are, are plenty happy to be top 50, top 30 in any of those categories. They filled that thing. And if you look around, uh, Jacksonville, uh, Jacksonville State's defense pops up everywhere. So, Tyler, Thank you so much for, for joining us on the Letterman Jacket. Let the people know where they can find your work and where they can follow you. Yeah, um, I'm probably most active on Twitter. You can find me at Tyler Waldrop. Um, so that's T-Y-L-E-R, Waldrop, W-A-L-D-R-E-P. Uh, you could probably just search for Jacksonville State um, beat writer and, and you'll probably find me that way too. Uh, I would guess that that might be how Eli found me in the first place. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And Tyler really does uh, great work and, you know, beats like that. I, I got started covering Arkansas State myself in my career, like those smaller programs that um, produce a lot of guys who, who land other places. They're, they're great beats. Um, they're huge in, in the, the towns and cities that they're in. And uh, school like JSU, I mean, keep an eye out. We'll see. Rich Rod, being there not how, how many of those schools have a former Michigan and you know Arizona coach West Virginia coach uh so they're a fun program he's seems to be a personality someone interesting to cover um so Tyler best of luck moving forward folks follow along and thank you for tuning in here at the Letterman Jacket as always you can find us on Spotify Apple Amazon uh wherever you find your podcast you can find us there on YouTube please leave a review leave uh leave comments we'll get back to you And uh, a big thank you, as always, to our producer, Jacqueline Musgrove, uh, to creative director, Michael Lane, to Bobby Howard, Michael Martin for their work. And we will be back again soon on Letterman Jacket. (laughs) 